It's Tuesday, August 9th, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, sitting in for Chris Hill this week. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Global Gains, Tim Hansen from Motley Fool Million Dollar Portfolio, Ron Gross, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager. Guys, welcome. Hey, Matt. So, How are you? I'm pretty sure I wasn't supposed to have to do another podcast with Joe. I'm sorry. I didn't. Is that Were in your contract? Were we supposed contract? to separate you two? There were some moments on the last one we did together. I'm the, not allowed to talk about it. You know, I think I edited most of those moments out. But there so was the some rest tension. Of the world is not aware of the tension. They're that not exists. aware, but there is some tension. So well, I'm, if we I'm get glad. an HR moment on here, maybe you can. Should edit we switch that seats? That's good. Here, this is good. I'm not I, allowed to talk about that right, either. Right. Okay, now that we've set expectations very low, <laughs> let's get over that bar, guys. We are taping this right on the heels of the Fed statement. Ron, I'm going to you right out of the chute. Mm. Okay, the Fed says no rate hikes until 2013. They say downside risk to the economy have grown, and the Fed says it's prepared to use additional tools. Uh, I chuckle, but it's really not funny at all. I was going to say, by the way, it's also Tuesday. So what what does it all mean for investors? Um, Things are not good, Mac. Um, Our economy is very weak. The Fed does not have a lot of tools at its disposal, interest rates being the primary one they like to use. Uh, they didn't talk about QE3, any more quantitative easing at this juncture. So they'll keep interest rates low, try to keep us out of a recession. I'm not sure they can do that. Hasn't really worked yet. But we've had a lot of things getting, you know, a lot of stimulus here. Nothing really has worked. We're going, you know, to the negative side. Nothing, nothing seems to have gotten us uh, out of this. So things are not good. And I should say that at the time of this taping, the market was down slightly, but it actually opened up pretty strongly on Tuesday. Joe? Yeah, the market has been all over the map. It was up 2.5% at one point, and then it ran down after the Bernanke announcement, and now it's back up a little bit. And within that, you've got stocks all over the place. You've got a lot of blue-chippy-looking stocks that are down 2%, and you've got a bunch of high-priced, I'm not going to name names, garbagey stocks that are up uh, quite a bit in the afternoon. So it's just really a fascinating amount of volatility and, and just totally all over the map, totally unpredictable. Tim? It's like we turned our portfolios over to teenagers. <laughs> I don't know what to make of it. I think people are searching for direction, and we're not getting – I mean, there's, there's not a lot out there to, to, to glom onto. Yeah, times like these where literally the market can swing 100 points in a matter of minutes, you almost have to back away from your screen, your TV station – um, not this podcast, of course. This is no, very important. To the podcast. <laughs> Every but, day. But, but you need to take stock prices out of this and th- think about companies and the economy and where we are and let stock prices jump around because you'll drive yourself crazy. Yeah, well, I guess Ron read my column yesterday. No, uh, I, <laughs> every day. Joe, let's be honest. No one reads your column. <laughs> I didn't even know he had a Whatever. column. <laughs> did yeah. you skateboard to work today? I did. I did. Thank Teenagers you. Saving our gas stocks. Yeah, I think, I think it was the 60-second guy to dealing with a recession. Yes. Hey, yes. you read his column. Yes, I did. Thank you, Mac. I appreciate that. But, but I want the 20-second version. Come so on. So the 20-second version is this is a time, like Ron saying, where people should just step back a little bit and – Think about. Are you reading your own column on your iPad? <laughs> <laughs> I like to psych myself up by reading some of my better jokes when I go on. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> People need to uh, to step back a little bit and think about their positions in a business sense, not just a you know a stock chart sense. So one thing I definitely recommend doing if you're feeling nervous right now is actually sitting down and writing out your investing strategy and your thesis for each of the stocks or funds you own. And if you can't do that quickly or readily, that's probably a sign that. You shouldn't have got into those things in the first place, but you need to take more time and think about how they fit within your overall structure. Tim? You know, I think uh, what it boils down to is um, 
you know, the more things change as they are changing now, the more they also stay the same. And, and just to echo what, what, what Joe and Ron said, you know, a great company is a great company and its price is going to fluctuate, you know, but competitive, durable, competitive, competitive positions like ones Coca-Cola have or Walmart or those sorts of companies, you know, those are long lasting and, and you can find solace in that. Um, the, the other bit I'll say is, you know, in times like this, you're going to get a lot of free advice and, uh, you know, you get what you pay for is my free advice also. Well, this podcast, except for this podcast, except, yes. except for this podcast, <laughs> this is the one exception. But exactly, so right. So I would say turn off those TV stations that we know about. I was in the car yesterday for three hours and I had it on. I mean, I was had such anxiety. I mean, you hear the trading desks in the background and the, the it's crazy. You got to calm down. Um, our message boards here at Fool.com are actually a good place to go, so you can speak with other like-minded fools who are in kind of the same situation, have the same anxiety that you do, share your thoughts, listen to what other people are doing, and you don't need to really be alone in this kind of an environment. How about some stocks on your radar right now, stocks that might be good in this environment? Ron? Um, so solely based on the fact that we, businesses in general are still the same businesses they were last week, but you can't be naive. If we go into a recession, that does affect businesses, that does affect cash flow, and that does have an impact on valuation. So you can't just put your head in the sand. you got to think through the whole thing. But having said that, I think companies like Berkshire or Markel Insurance, Google looks interesting here to me. You can watch big growth companies like Amazon or Apple come down on weakness um, and, and take nibbles at those. Lots of good companies, but you, you do have to be a little bit careful. Joe? Yeah, I'd completely agree with that. Again, Ron must be reading Inside Value. It's a great, it's a great newsletter service. Insert same joke here. <laughs> it's called the heightening. I, it's nice that Mac lets me go first, so I can say everything that you guys are thinking. Um, yeah, I'll maybe twist uh, a little bit, and I would say that I'm looking right now at companies with strong balance sheets, and that's such a cliche right now. I think everyone is saying that, but. I'm a little hesitant to get on some of these companies, uh, including a couple of in our own scorecard, actually, Molson Coors being one, International Speedway being another, that I'm a little worried about because they're, to me, late economic recovery cycle stocks. And now I'm starting to view that as maybe a good bit longer out than I'd expected. So right now I'm comfortable moving to, say, uh, a Johnson & Johnson of the world mm -hmm. or a Coca-Cola of the world and sitting on that and enjoying the benefits of a great business model and strong balance sheet. I mean, I personally bought shares of a, uh, a utility yesterday. Uh, obviously, I can't I can't name it because that would be in violation of our of our disclosure policies. But you know, the gist behind buying utility is that it's down twenty five percent in a week and a half. It's yielding almost nine percent, and it's utility. I mean, even in a recession, you know, demand for electricity and water, you know, is not all that elastic. It should stick around a little bit. I think that's an example of the type of craziness you see from a, a, a durable business that at this point is, has a really nice total return opportunity for, for folks who can't get nearly the same yields in, in bonds at this point. Yeah, and just, I don't know, just so we don't sound like total wusses, because I think we sound a little bit wussy here. We're talking a lot about That's going just you, conservative. Jeff. We're sounding cautious, Jeff. <laughs> We're sounding cautious. I mean, everyone sounds cautious. But I, I don't get the impression from looking at a lot of the more volatile businesses out there, ones with a lot of operating leverage, that they've seen the worst of where they'll be. I think companies that have thin margins are probably going to get hit really hard over the next couple quarters, and I would be patient and wait for those to play out before well, I, mean, I think on them. I was, there are a few ways to, to think about what you're trying to achieve with your portfolio, you know, relative, I guess, on, on the wuss spectrum. You know, and, and the one opportunity is to go out and just you know, buy stocks you think are going to go up a lot. The other is to buy stocks that are relatively lower risk that will help you achieve your total return goal. 
you know, in terms of my personal sort of asset allocation, long-term retirement savings plan, you know, the assumption I've built in for equities is somewhere between, you know, eight to ten percent before tax, pre-tax, right? Right. And if you can knock out a nine percent yield on a utility, I mean, that gives you a long way to achieving your financial goals without having to take on so much risk. So. I think you know it's always important to have a plan so that when times like this happen, you don't just go out willy-nilly and, 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 and go crazy, but you, you do sort of strategic targeted buying of things that will help you achieve the financial goals that you set out before your emotions really got the best of you. And, and I, two pieces of advice I would have is you can't worry about finding the bottom. We, none, none of us know where the bottom yeah. is. I, bought, I put a lot of capital work personally in November of 2008 thinking I was going to get great prices. The stock market continued to plunge through March of 2009, but it actually didn't matter because when the market rebounded, I still did quite well. You just don't know where that bottom is going to be. If you find a good company at a good price, that's fine to invest in. The other thing on a not non-stock related uh, advice is Look at mortgage rates now, historically low, never been lower. Um, I just personally refinanced yesterday. Um, Great way to save some money right now. Don't be buying these crazy mortgages, these adjustable things. Be nice and conservative. 30-year mortgages right now look really, really good. And um, one one of the stocks that got crushed yesterday and was, was regaining some of that ground today was Bank of America. Um, in terms of Bank of America or the other financial stocks, what do we think? I think the Bank of America situation is an interesting one. I was reading some articles uh, from the conspiracy theorists, and, and obviously one of the large holders of Bank of America is our friend uh, John Paulson, who, as everyone knows, is having a very bad year, whether it be because of his exposure to the financial sector, exposure to Chinese frauds, etc. After cetera. some very, very good years. Right. Well, he's we pretty much add. undone that, that sort of purge he was on for a little while with what he's put up in, in, in 2011. I have no animosity towards John Paulson, but what the, the conspiracy theories are is that he's starting to get a lot of redemptions and margin calls, and a lot of that selling you saw in Bank of America yesterday was a product of him dumping a lot of his stake. Obviously, that can create a near-term buying opportunity because you know more rational money will come back to fill the void. But in the case of Bank of America, I mean, wow, what a hard stock to analyze just because you just, you don't know. You know, everybody knows that with a bank, for regulatory reasons, assets and liabilities have to be in a certain balance with one another. You know, within federal regulations. A lot of bank, you know, liabilities tend to be deposits that you know me, Joe, or Ron have stuck into the bank, which no one looks kindly upon if they were to, to not, you know, fulfill the obligations associated with those liabilities. Which means that the value of their assets decline, and a lot of their assets are mortgages and you know government bonds, those sorts of things. If they start writing those down, all of a sudden that relationship gets out of whack, and the people who end up paying the price are common shareholders. So I'd be very careful with Bank of America, just because I have no idea how the write down cycle is going to affect mortgages or in this downgrade environment, um, you know, relatively uh, previously relatively safe asset classes. It's just a very, very hard situation. Yeah, and the balance sheets at these banks, even the ones that you thought you understood what the business model was, are just total black boxes. Like, I think that line, here there be dragons, when I think about the balance sheets here. I mean, I used to work at a mega bank, and I'll just say that I can see why people have such a hard time understanding the moving parts of these businesses. It was tough to wrap my head around our own unit. And what about oil stocks? Um, during a recession, oil prices fall, and there's talk of a double-dip recession. What do we think of oil stocks? So oil stocks are tough in the, in the near term if, if the commodity keeps going down. It, it's good for other businesses who rely on energy as a as major input cost. Uh, um, so that that will help other companies grow if, if those prices stay low. Um, but if, if oil goes down enough that that does create opportunities to then pick up oil stocks on the cheap if if you believe a year or two down the road 
you know, eighty dollar oil or ninety dollar oil is too is too cheap. Yeah, I'd say it's too early. I think oil is still trading around its marginal cost of production, and as we've seen, commodity prices will swing way above and way beyond that. And I think you should just be patient. I, I wouldn't hop onto oil producing stocks until oil runs down to south of at least seventy a barrel. I mean, there's every reason it could fall further than that too. So I just stay patient. But but put them on probably keep them on a watch list. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Tim. Let's talk some China. Um, the big news today: China's inflation rate hit its highest level in three years. Um, a couple of numbers that really jumped out at me: food inflation was up almost fifteen percent in July from a year ago. The price of pork was up fifty-seven percent from a year ago. So, what does higher inflation in China mean for China? What does it mean for the rest of the world? Well, you know, the first thing to note is that whenever there are official inflation statistics is that the real numbers are probably a lot higher. <laughs> and that's true of China. It's true <laughs> of the U.S. It's true everywhere. Inflation is notoriously underreported. Um, you know, for China, inflation, you know, frankly, sucks. And the reason that, that it sucks is because there are a billion very poor people in China. Suboptimal. It's suboptimal. It's suboptimal. Uh, no, I think it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because, there, I mean, there are a billion poor people in China who just cannot cope with food prices rising this rapidly. And, you know, whether that's obviously it's uncomfortable for them um, from a structural standpoint, it's uncomfortable for the government because people who can't eat and can't feed their children or in China can't feed their one child who they have everything riding on, uh, well, they get a little bit antsy about about the uh, ruling regime. And we were talking earlier, Tim, before the show, and this all plays into the fact that China also, um, this is part of the reason why they park that huge surplus of theirs in U.S. Treasuries, right? Yes. Well, there are a lot. I mean, the reason they don't, they don't, so they have a trade surplus, as everyone knows, but they don't actually let that money flow back into China because if they did, uh, gradually over time, they would, one, erode their low-cost manufacturing advantage, and two, they would spur inflation as lots of money hit the system, and, and, which is bad in a country where there's a huge divide between the, the rich and the poor or you know, vis-a-vis people who can cope with inflation and people who can't. Um, so they've got a big problem you know, materializing in, in, in that regard. And it will be interesting to see how they get out of it. You know, historically, they'll try to act and, and control more things to get a hold of the problem. But, you know, the, the catch-22 in economics is that the more you work to solve something, you know, the more unintended consequences pop up. And they don't operate in isolation. So as they put fol- policies forth to le- lower inflation, that will also lower their growth. Um, the policies will be in place to lower growth, and which in turn will lower inflation. It's kind of a chicken and egg thing, which has implications on companies that are directly do business with China um, and who rely on China f- for growth of their own. Um, so, it, you know, we're all we, we don't operate in isolation here. You know, generally speaking, the way they get after inflation is just to raise interest rates. Um, you know, the rate at which companies and, and other things are able to borrow in China. But you know, the dirty little secret about the Chinese banking system is that when they raise interest rates, in, raise borrowing rates. They don't actually raise savings rates. And so what happens is the people who uh, people still get paid very little, you know, 1% or so to, to put their money in a bank, and the banks are making more and more money. And that's sort of the stealth way that China is looking to recapitalize its banking system if, for example, higher interest rates were to cause growth to slow and therefore all these loans that they've made to go bad for all these infrastructure projects they've done. So it's a very tricky situation. Well, guys, it has been a crazy week for the market, and it's only Tuesday. Um, so, <laughs> oh, boy. So here's the, here's the shameless <laughs> plug. You ready? If there's one sure thing about investing, it's what, Ron? Have a volatility, man. That's right. Ding, ding, ding. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. It's all about the volatility. There are highs and there are lows, and there is a Motley Fool free report that spells out how to make money from those highs and lows. Just go to surething.fool.com 
Remember, the sure thing is volatility. Okay, so yeah. I okay, see the grimace. We got to keep that URL, though. Yeah, sh- it's a good one. Surething.fool.com to pick up your free copy of How to Profit from the One Sure Thing for the second half of 2011. Um, the report is by our very own Jeff Fisher, portfolio manager of Motley Fool Pro, also of Market Foolery fame. And um, Jeff will show you step by step how to protect and grow your wealth, whether the market moves up or down from here. Um, the report also includes three predictions for the rest of the year. Just go to surething.fool.com. Okay, on that note, I mentioned three predictions in that report. Guys, how about one prediction to kind of wrap up on? Tim? You're not going to start with me, not with Ron? Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. I always I always wait for them so I can riff on them. Um, can I predict volatility, or have we already gone over that? That's, I think that's a sure thing. To, that's thing. sure thing. That's where you can learn about that. <laughs> Uh, you know, I guess my prediction is that at the end of the day, things are going to be okay. And uh, I don't know what time sequence I want to measure that over. Um, but like I said, I, I, I bought a stock yesterday. I intend to to buy more as my personal financial situation allows because, you know, innovation and uh, human capital and all these powerful forces in, in, in the world economy, I think, are being underestimated today. And I think uh, uh, ingenuity can overcome sort of some of the structural difficulties that we face. Joe? Okay, I'm going to say I think industrial commodities get whacked. Um, I'm thinking specifically of oil producers. Um, I mean, you look at like an Exxon, they've got a lot of spread between natural gas and oil, so they're pretty diversified and they've got global assets. But any companies that are pure plays on oil production or oil field services, so maybe like a national oil well Varco, great business, but basically just moves with the price of oil. I think you're going to see oil run down uh, a good bit if the economy pulls back, which most signs seem to be pointing to. I think people will probably overreact to that, and you might have a nice buying opportunity on the stock. Ron? Kind of in the Warren Buffett camp of that, I believe in the United States of America, and I think we're going to be fine down the road, similar to what Tim said. And I'm probably going to be wrong here, but I'm going to predict that the severity of this situation is going to force our long uh, our lawmakers and Congress to get their act together and at least work together a little bit better than they have over the last hundred years. I hope you're right. Me too. You are so much more optimistic than I am. I'm just trying. <laughs> you know, we were a little pessimistic. Hey, Ron, yeah. ended on a good note. Ron did yeah. predict the uh, the debt. Ceiling compromise, I did, which was very, you know, and I did predict I that there pessimistic. would be a rebound in the stock market today, two days ago. Okay, well there you have it. So now we're in big trouble because I'm making daily prognostications. <laughs> yeah. By the way, if you want those, you can go to Ron Gross Market Time and Crystal Ball That is Ron Gross Market Time and Crystal Ball From Motley Fool Global Gains, Tim Hansen from Million Dollar Portfolio, Ron Gross, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, man. thanks, Mac. A nice haircut, by the way. Oh, thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and we will see you on Wednesday. Wednesday.